This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today it's raining outside, but it is not snowing. And uh, no more snow days, but... We're back to the grind. But actually, we didn't quit. Right. last Wednesday, when everybody else was advised to stay home... Drinking beer in the afternoon. You, me... Ramey from Ramey Films. Yes, RameyFilms.com. And, uh, and Secret didn't make it. He was drinking beer in the <laughs> afternoon. But uh, And Dr. Andre Pavlov yes. at a Vancouver Real Estate Live, 7 p.m. last Wednesday. Fantastic time. Phenomenal, phenomenal interview with Andre Pavlov. And that's actually available on our YouTube channel. But also, like, so and many people showed up. Yeah, it was, was great. It was good. It was a, it was a, an eventful chat room. And we should kind of clarify, right? Because it wasn't just an interview with Andre Pavlov. It was Andre, the three of us basically just had a beer and, uh, you know, talked real estate, answered questions, engaged. Yes. Some people had some very interesting points and it was, uh, yeah, it was just a very, it was a strong hour. My, strong, maybe the highlight of my week. Yeah. You know what? That was, it was a lot of fun. I think Andre had a good time as well, but that is available on YouTube. We also talk about strata insurance deductibles. Uh, we covered the market. What else did we cover? Uh, Property taxes, like lots going on in that conversation. Yeah, it was it was and a good some one. pretty good jokes. Yeah, and you know what, Strata Insurance. Now that you say that, next week we got somebody on an insurance broker talking about Strata Insurance. So if you're reading about that and you're wondering why we haven't talked about that yet, that's next week. But let's not bury the lead because yes. this is one of the most exciting episodes we've had in some time. Yes, we got the guys, the intelligentsia from Rennie here. 
We do. We've got Andrew Ramlow, who's the VP, and then Ryan Berlin, who's the senior economist at Rennie Intelligence, a division of Rennie Group. And you know what, Matt? Like, we actually strategically saved this interview for the beginning of 2020 just because we wanted to start the year off with a bang. We started talking to these guys a long time ago about coming on the show. And uh, you're right. We said, okay, well, wait a second. Like, 2019 is turning out to be a strange fall. Let's hold off. Let's unpack the fall in January and let's talk about the, the new year and, and what their predictions are. It's a, it's a fantastic conversation. And this is, just so everybody knows, there's three kind of divisions of Rennie as far yes. as I understand, right? There's the real estate brokerage. There's the project marketing uh, side of things. And then there's Rennie Intelligence, this independent uh, group of very smart guys just running different types of uh, analyses and uh, and and they came on to share it. Yeah, fantastic people over at Rennie. And uh, let's get to our this week's Oakwind tip. We got the Oakwind tip? Yes. So Oakwind, this is our new brokerage. So happy to be over at Oakwind. Such an exciting dynamic place. The Oakwind tip this week uh, involves home insurance. But right. not in the way that you might be thinking if you're, if you're thinking about water deductibles. The Oakwind tip is always line up your home insurance with your completion date. Yes. The risk of the property falls to the new owner on the completion date. So just to unpack this a little bit, Adam, there's of course the completion date in which your name goes on title or comes off title. But if you're buying a property, goes on title, the money changes hands. Then usually the next day or a couple of days later, there's the possession and the adjustment date. Often people think the adjustment date is when you should put the insurance on the new property. Wrong. It's the completion date. Even though you don't necessarily take possession, you don't get the keys right. on the date of completion, you are responsible. You need insurance. You do. You don't want to get caught without insurance. We, we, so we heard an example of that where somebody had a something leak. Something just happened was, in yeah. East Van. Basement yeah. leaked on the day of completion. Yeah. And the buyer's insurance kicked in. The buyer's insurance. That is, that is correct. Yeah. Exactly. The buyer's insurance kicked in. But Adam, you got your own tip this week. Yes, Matt. My tip this week, and we should say, I, I was never a huge fan of the AirPods. You were not. You were actually, of anyone who came on this podcast, almost everybody says that's the one thing they'd buy. And you bought them. I bought them. Yeah. I, you bought I them have early. I have stuff like that. I just, uh, I thought I'd use them all the I've time. I've never, I thought you would too. Yeah. I've, I've, uh, I've never seen anything like it. You, it was a disaster. You just, no, I lost them. I yeah. just keep them in the car. I'd never wear them. Anyways, but you until, got a tip. Until I figured this out, and this is my tip this week, you can actually watch movies and shows and Netflix on Apple TV. I thought you were going to say on your phone. No. <laughs> yeah. 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 Groundbreaking tip. Uh, this was like last week's Bop It, uh, which I got a lot of flack for Yeah, for bringing that up. It turns out everyone but us knew that which game that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but here's, a, here's a, the tip, though. The tip is that you can actually connect your, your AirPods with Apple TV so you can like watch movies and stuff at home on your AirPods. And not disturb your six-month-old baby if you have one. For instance, uh, yeah. Yeah, or, or, is, or your you wife or your like, And the sound is incredible, right? It's like, it's like the sound is like surround sound. It's unbelievable. In your head. Yeah. There was, I was watching a documentary where like a jet took off and it was, it was like, it's crazy. It feels like you're in a theater. It's a good tip. So good I'm, on, I'm on to the AirPods. Right. 
Right on. Well, what else do we got before we go to our talk with Rennie Intelligence? Well, you know, we should just a shout out to, to RamyFilms.com. Um, Matt, also uh, live oh, yeah. at the Bento. RamyFilms.com. He actually, is, is, he made it through. I think he came on snowshoes. He did. Yeah, he came out to the studio on snowshoes over the snow day. And uh, Ramey's always great. And uh, man, he's doing he's doing uh, great work over he's there. He's doing God's work over there. The other thing is, is uh, late last season, right. if in 2019, we had Epic Alliance on the show. Right. A lot of people have reached out. They're that Saskatoon firm that's doing uh, a really interesting work with really incredible returns. Their director of sales yes. uh, is coming out to Vancouver on Thursday for a week. Right. Sounds like they've had a lot of interest. Uh, the buy-ins are cheap. The returns are fantastic. Anyway, I'm uh, I- I'm really excited to to sit down with Brad when he's here. And uh, if anyone didn't listen to that episode, uh, he's in town for a week and he's yeah. meeting up with people. So just get in touch. We can connect you. Absolutely. Um, and meet him for a coffee or a bite to eat or whatever, uh, or even just jump on a call. VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. But maybe we should cut to our talk with Andrew and Ryan. This one is uh, is perfect for the start of the year. The Intelligentsia. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Andrew Ramlow, Vice President, and Ryan Berlin, Senior Economist at Rennie Intelligence, a division of Rennie Group. How you doing, guys? I'm doing really Thanks well. for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, over. thanks so much for taking the time. It's uh, kind of surprising that we've been doing this for as long as we have, and it's been a long you time guys, coming. Though. Haven't had you guys on. Yeah, uh, we're, we're honored. We're honored. We're, you guys kept the best for last. <laughs> 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 can you can you maybe start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Maybe we'll start with Ryan. Yeah, sure. So um, I'm a, an economist um, by education and through practice over the years. So it's, I've, I've been working in. Um, so Andrew and I go back about fifteen, 15 or seven, years. Yeah, yeah. Wow. fifteen, sixteen years now. Yeah. And we used to um, we were running a, a consulting firm here in Vancouver, uh, serving both the private sector and, and public sector clients. Not just on issues related to real estate, but covering, I mean, a real meat and potatoes over the years has been demographic and economic analysis and forecasting. And so, um, yeah, when I finished my master's degree way back in 20, 2004, um, ran into uh, Andrew and, and his partner at the time, David Baxter, and, uh, and, and got in the canoe and started rowing. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it's a good analogy, and this is yeah. where, this is where we've ended up, uh, 17 years later. Yeah. So. God, it's been that long, eh? Wow. I feel old sure right old. now, right? Yeah, uh, yeah and, and myself, uh, yeah, ran the consulting business for a long, long time. And one of my clients over the years was Bob Rennie. And uh, it was in working with Bob year after year, by and large, to uh, get a lot of his uh, data and metrics together for his annual UDI presentation, right. as well as working uh, for some of the clients that they had on the developer side of things for, for analysis that uh, we sort of cemented that that working relationship. And uh, as uh, in the last couple of years, as they've tried to what we call institutionalize Rennie, uh, provide a little bit of a broader range of services than just uh, the pre-sale marketing side of things and, and the brokerage, they asked Ryan and I to come over to basically close the consulting firm up and come in and provide those services internally to Rennie. 
So both with respect to the pre-sale side of things, so the developer services, but then also to the 180 uh, agents that we have as part of uh, a part of the brokerage as well. Right. So um, we come at it from a little bit different perspective. Ryan has, as he said, he's got an economics background. I've got a, a, an urban planning background. So I look at things on the real estate side of things through the sort of the lens of people and land. And Ryan looks at it uh, on the uh, through the lens of the economic side of things. Yeah, complimentary. Yeah, it, sounds yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. yeah, it's worked. And and so, yeah, Rennie Intelligence, I think everybody knows uh, Bob Rennie. Everybody knows Rennie Marketing and, and then the brokerage side. But can you guys talk a little bit about what Rennie Intelligence is? You kind of spoke to it a little bit. but Yeah, I mean, we, we sit in-house serving the needs of all, you know, parts of the business. Um um, we work directly with our brokers, our advisors, um, to help them better understand the market, get out in front of some of the issues, be able to communicate to their clients, buyers or sellers, what's actually happening in the market, what actually matters. Um, and then on the, um, the developer side of things, um, you know, working in a, um, with a, with a whole range of developers in the, in, for lack of a better term, the pre-sale segment of the market, um, we support them in, in, in the timing of making major decisions um, related to the launch of new projects. Um, and then there's also um, – we have sort of another leg to our stool, which is to project out into the marketplace a little bit and just provide our take on things, the things that we think matter uh, right. within, this, within this market. So we have sort of uh, – there's sort of a number of different stakeholders within within the organization and then outside of it whose needs we, we seek to meet. We also uh, provide consulting services too. So it's sort of a, another arm uh, in terms of advisory services. So outside of the pre-sale development world, uh, we work with some of the municipalities, health regions, uh, major companies looking at notions of economic and demographic change and how that's impacting their, whether it be their consumer base or their particular market. So again, it's, it's pretty wide and diverse uh, within, uh, within that sort of the Rennie fold, uh, providing support and service internally to all of the developer clients, to the agents, but then also broadening it outside of pure real estate into right. more, as I said, like kind of the land using side of things. Mm -hmm. So maybe as a, a, a first question, um, does Vancouver real estate make sense? You want to clarify that? <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, what do you mean by what do you mean by that? Well, yeah. I mean, in my in my mind, a lot of people just look at prices here and there. You know, um, for years now, it's just incomprehensible to a lot of people, right? So I think we're we always talk about you know potentially from a global perspective or um, you know kind of West Coast Asian uh, Pacific Rim kind of perspective. But but from your guys' perspective and and the metrics that you're looking at. Uh, I'm curious on your take on on this pretty unique market. Yeah, prices are high. They're, they've always <laughs> been high. I, mean, I think that's something to. I think we should all accept on some level, without speaking to the to the specific level of prices or how they're changing. We're never going to be priced like a Regina or a Moncton or even a Calgary, right? So, the housing services that are provided here when you rent or you purchase a home are I would say broader in the sense that you know this, this the region from an aesthetic perspective um, from a, a you know uh, participating in the in the natural environment and and enjoying the climate here and not spending money on heating and cooling as much as you might elsewhere all of that 
<laughs> on some level, right? On some level, um, factors into into values. I mean, we were. <clears throat> You go back a few years ago, I think we'd all agree that prices were increasing at an unsustainable level. So when we talk about price changes, um, 30% a year, like what, what they were seeing in Toronto as well, is not something that was going to be maintained over any, you know, even in right. the medium term. But our prices are higher. Um, and there's a lot of factors at play there. Um, you know, migration is part of it. Job creation is part of it. When I say migration as well, I mean, I mean immigration as well. Um, foreign capital is part of it. Um, we don't believe it's as yeah. big of an issue or big a contributor as some others might. Um, but equity within the marketplace um, plays a significant role in influencing our prices. And we have a lot of that here. Yeah. And from my side of things, the, the reality is if it didn't make sense, it had stopped working. And it hasn't stopped working. There's certainly been ups and downs like any market. Um, you know, it, uh, real estate is an asset and asset markets move up and they move down, uh, with a broad range of, of factors influencing them. And, uh, if at the end of the day it didn't make sense, then, well, it would, it would literally stop and we haven't seen it stop. And, and I think it's actually showing its resilience in a lot of ways, especially, you know, surprising people that are, were expecting a much more aggressive downturn in some markets, perhaps. Yeah. You know, recently. I mean, the, the duration of the downturn recently was, it was protracted compared to previous downturns, but it wasn't as deep necessarily mm-hmm. as some of the others. I would say fundamentally because the factors that created it were different yes. from previous downturns. Yeah. And so that also then influences the way that we come out of it as, as it appears now we have been for at least the past half year. And you know, largely what Rai's talking about is the policy changes that we've seen over the last two years uh, relative to other downturns in the market that we've seen. Um, they've largely been economically driven. And uh, this most recent one, this is the sort of the corollary of it, is that uh, we saw prices come down in a period where both uh, in terms of jobs, wages, as well as population growth, we were booming here. And so it, it's a, a bit of a paradox on that side. And uh uh, if anything surprised me throughout the year is that uh, we're just getting the year-end stats in right now. And while most people say that it's been a super challenging year, we actually surpassed the number of sales in 2019 relative to 2018. So we were in the up resale market. in right. the resale market. So, you know, in terms of a volume side of things, well, you know what? It's about average in terms of uh, relative to last year, at least. We're slightly above. Um, but that all happened in the second half of the year yeah but the thing i think that you know further to andy's point though that gave us confidence that the turnaround would happen um you know at the start of 2019 we were looking at some of the trends in resale amongst other things and saying by the end of the year uh or as we head into fall we expect this to turn around and 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 part of the faith that we had i suppose if you want to call it that in the market is that behind the scenes as Sales counts came down as inventories rose, as prices came down. Behind all of that, underlying all of that, we continued to see job growth. In fact, job growth that for much of that that period, that sort of year and a half, led the country or was very, very close to it when we compare Vancouver to other metro areas. We continued to see between thirty five and 45,000 people a year that, that move here on a net basis. Those people ultimately need to be housed. People within the region... Um, which again is, is growing every single year. People continue to get older every year. They have kids, they're getting married, they're getting divorced, they're dying. There's all these life changes that create different needs for housing. All that, all those dynamics were occurring in the background. 
And we didn't we didn't have an unemployment rate that doubled like we did in 2009, where people literally just couldn't, you know, you can't afford to buy a home because right. you have no job. People were working. We have one of the lowest unemployment rates in the entire country. People are still moving here. The demand is here. And so, you know, we're at a place where we, we basically, for lack of a better term, are seeing pent-up demand accumulate. Like if you look at the number of sales adjusted for population, so like a per capita sales measure, we were in deficit relative to history for, for a long time, which says to us that – so the people are here. They've, they've stepped back. They're on the sidelines. They're not participating. And that at some point – that's got to be unleashed on the market right. as well. And that's that notion from an economist perspective of pent up demand or from a real estate side of things is people sitting on the sidelines. Right. And, uh, and that's again, back to sort of our, some of the metrics that, that we looked at one, certainly the, uh, this notion of uh, a sales per capita r- ratio, uh, and it being well below historical averages and saying, okay, it's, it's at least if it comes back to its historical average, we're going to see some, significant activity in the market as well. And, and I think that's what we've seen through the fall. Historically, you come through that sort of September to October, October, November, November, December market. And it's a time when, when it's not a lot of activity in the market. Yeah. Each of those months, you see fewer and fewer sales. And in addition to being above what we saw last year, the trend was as we went from October to November, sales were up, not down. Yeah. Well, November December, to December, right? Up. Yeah. Way up. December was, was, nuts it was a barnstorming month yeah it was i mean typically sales counts in december are relatively low so that's probably not sort of the uh, the benchmark going forward but absolutely i mean i think within um the greater vancouver board area we were up around close to 90 percent we we tend to define our region a little bit more broadly to include the fraser valley board area and for your listeners who may not be totally accustomed to these boundaries the greater vancouver board area obviously excludes communities like surrey Langley, where we see a lot of activity, where we see a lot of activity in the townhome and detached market, um, and where prices are, you know, 30% lower than they are elsewhere. So it's, it's all part of a functional region. So we tend to look a bit bigger picture and yeah, sales were up 74% right. in December for that, for that broader region. So, so if, if I understand, uh, correctly, um, the downturn as far as you guys were, were seeing it was kind of policy driven that led to potentially, I guess, a lack of confidence there for, for, you know, whatever, maybe a year. Uh, like it seems like really the summer of 2018 to the summer of 2019 was that time where everybody seemed to kind of hit pause. But. Well, I would say, you know, it started even even earlier than that. Honestly, yeah. if you go yeah. back to... Prices started to come down before we had started to have the introduction of any of the foreign buyers tax or anything like that. Back, well, yeah, right, we... Right. Right. Yeah. You, uh, yeah, we... Uh, just anecdotally, I remember we sold a house in East Van uh, a month before the foreign buyers tax came in, right? And it was like, something's different. Like, yeah. that was back exactly. in 2016. I remember that yeah. open house specifically being like, we had a house a month before that where it was like... The, you know, there's a uh, hundred people through and suddenly there's only 20 so a little and quieter. Like, what's going on. <laughs> it but shifted quick. It, yeah. And it yeah. was before. And it was before any size. policy, yeah. right? It's interesting that you're, yeah. that you're noting that because it's not something you hear very often. And we looked at, you especially know, look, in the media. Yeah. 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 yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the, gov- the government, you know, is, uh, inclined to, to sort of, for the most part, take credit through the policy interventions for the normalization of prices or, or the, the decline, let's call them what they are. Um, but really, you're right. I mean, we look at price changes. They were still increasing in the spring of 2016, but they're increasing at a slowing rate. And if you look at that trend of price changes um, as as the, the increases were smaller and smaller and smaller and then became decreases, 
that curve was uninterrupted by the introduction of the foreign buyer tax. It happened mm-hmm. in and around the same time, so it was right. convenient in that sense. And actually, I do agree that it it feeds into the psychology of and and the this herd mentality we talked about earlier. Um, that the market was um, operating in an unsustainable way, and I would agree it was. I think there's there was price fatigue yeah, as well. We had price fatigue uh, where yeah. people just go, you know what? I'm not comfortable jumping in now because I don't think that the value is there if I purchase it, you know, down the road if I purchase at this level. So I think that was part of it as well. So um, in addition to the policy, outside of people's perception of the market, it, some of the policies did take, literally take people out of the market, right? Right. Yeah. Stress so, test. Well, it, stress test is an interesting one. And from a prices side of things, the stress test certainly would have taken some people out of the market, those that were right at the bottom. But what it did for everybody else is it essentially cascaded them down a price range because they could afford less. So it, it, that led to a lot of price compression in the lower segments of, of the markets. And so when you talk about headline prices, like, well, what have average prices done? Well, that price compression is going to pull your average down from a statistical side of things. So it looks like there's this big decline in terms of average prices, right? But it's just that compression of the market and a lot more activity in the lower bands through design of the stress test. Mm -hmm. So there were some people taken literally out of the market as well. It's not just 100% people's perception of where the market was going, which certainly was the case, but there was literally some movement out of the market just because of uh, things like stress test. And, you know, we talk about a lot about policy provincially as well, um, locally for uh, vacant home tax here in Vancouver. But then there's also the international policy in terms of uh, things like trying to get money out of China and them cracking down. So, you know, as Ryan said, the international flow of capital certainly has an impact here in uh, the lower mainlands. And to, again, reiterate what Ryan said, to depending on who you are, uh, your view on that could be more or less in right. terms of an impact and uh, certainly has an impact. I think from Ryan's and my perspective, a little bit less than what some of the people out there think, but uh, uh, the degree to which China is clamping down on the ability of money to get out uh, out of the country is, is going to have an impact here. It certainly will. Do, you know, just uh, thinking about kind of going back to three, four years ago, or well, I guess three years ago, 2016, when you're right, like it, the market was changing and then the foreign buyer's tax was the first uh, policy shift there. Did you guys foresee the condo market take off in 2017? Like what, what accounts for that? We've had uh, various people on have different ideas as to why that happened. But like, was that, can you talk to that a little bit? I think, I think part of it was, um, inventory driven. Um, and I think too, when there's a little bit of uncertainty in the market, I think generally speaking, buyers, investors, whoever are willing to, um, participate at these lower price thresholds generally speaking condos are going to be less expensive than their townhome or, or single family counterparts and so you look at that and you look at when we talk about demand compression when times a uh, price compression when um, um, when when there is a bit of a downturn and so even in slower times there is sort of a built-in um, in a sense um, there's built-in demand for some of that less expensive product. So in, in some sense, it provides a bit of a buffer to, to the risks that might have a bigger or, or the factors that might more negatively influence 
um, other segments like uh, like luxury homes, uh, mm-hmm. luxury condos, or, or single family homes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we actually had somebody on our show that that said that eventually with price compression we're going to have like a condo in Langley and a house in West Vancouver both being a million dollars um jokingly but but um, the, it seems like I, we're getting it there seems, <laughs> it seems kind of odd and i'd i'd love to kind of hear your guys thoughts on on the luxury market which mm. which seems to be still uh you know very stagnant. much a buyer's market very yeah. stagnant in certain submarkets um, what happens with the luxury market from here and how, and how, what's the interplay and, and how does that impact kind of the markets, the entry level and mid level markets where, where a lot of buyers are? Yeah, that's a good question. In terms of the trickle down side of things, and there's, this has been talked about a lot, you know, it, there's, talked about a lot with respect to things like well west side detached leading the market as a whole so for all product types and all geographies and we ran it statistically and there's absolutely no correlation between that so it it does the luxury market does work i'd say independently of the rest of the market i.e there's not a whole lot of trickle down Mm -hmm. your four million dollar house on the west side it doesn't really have a lot of implications for your five hundred thousand dollar condo in right. in surrey but um it, you know it, it depends on what your what your perspective on it is right now if you look at uh, west van as a whole in terms of the market the number of sales in that west van market it, it's relatively f- consistent with what it has been historically if we look back over time what's changed in the west van market is the number of listings that are out there so from a purchaser's perspective well it's good times because there's a lot of variety out there for them to choose from. But if you're selling something, well, it's a very competitive market because Mm -hmm. of the number of listings that are out there that you have to compete with. So uh, I I think that at least in the short term, it's that luxury market is still going to be relatively flat, especially to the degree that we were relying on, uh, on incomes outside of the lower mainland here to drive that, whether that be somebody coming here from, retiree from toronto or somebody from overseas um so it's it's i think it'll be a little bit longer before it uh, it certainly comes back especially given the number of listings that are out there right now that are populating that uh, those higher segments of the of the market I, w- I would agree with that i mean i think the way to characterize it is more of a um a plateauing in prices and yeah the recovery the timing of a recovery in that segment anyone's guess right but I think what we can say is if we look at the other direction that prices can move and that is down, again, we go back to this, this, this issue of the origin of the downturn. And it's, it's not, we're not in a situation like we've been in in past years where economic conditions change rapidly and people have to sell. So they list because they have to and then they take what they can get. <clears throat> I mean, certainly there are some people that are always in that in that position, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, but what we have now is um, in some in some markets, we'll have people choosing not to list. And this is where going back to the, the price changes overall. I mean, we saw like a, a, a 20% decline in a year over year recently in, in average sales prices. It's not that any one of our homes or your homes out there of your listeners went down by that much. It's that the activity moved down market, right? So people weren't listing their homes in, in some of the higher price bands. Um, they're waiting for conditions to turn around. And so when we calculate average prices and we go by that as sort of a uh, an indicator of the health of the market, sometimes it's a little bit misleading because if if the composition of the housing is fundamentally different at one time versus another time in terms of um, the type of housing, the location of, of housing within the region that's transacting, 
it can it can give a bit of a skewed uh, picture. Right. It uh, creates uh, the things. perception of the of the value going down. That That's all right. of our prices yeah. came down by twenty percent when when really they didn't. There was a decline. But it wasn't twenty percent across the board. That's right. For sure. Well, I I think I've said it on the show before. Like I had a a client who bought a little one bedroom condo in Kits, um, in basically at the peak, like tw- late twenty seventeen. He said, ah, "I'm going to be here forever. I don't care." Of course, he moves. He's now in Montreal. <laughs> uh, oh no! And and, and no, but actually, I mean, he didn't make any money, but we sold it for more than he paid for it. Right. In the in in August, and it's like around the five hundred k mark, and I mean it's it, that even surprised me. Uh, it, just yeah. <laughs> looking at it, but but that market, I guess, is it's worth pointing out, right? Where the house down the street has come down, you know, X amount. That one bedroom condo is actually, if anything, kind of stayed at the same price or, or risen. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it, I guess it's just also worth noting too that. Uh, uh, the board tracks what they call their HPI, so their price index, which is supposed to get or get around this issue of averages and, and having a big impact on the top side or on the bottom side and, and swaying the average value up and down. So that's supposed to be tracking a, a similar house or similar characteristics for a house or a condo over time uh, to get rid of that that big variance uh, on the right. statistical side. And, and I guess it's also just worth noting the most recent Month over month price data for all product types uh, in Lower Mainland as a whole uh, saw an increase. Right. So this was a, a, a the first month of change that we saw. Rather than being flat, it is a an up slight uptick. Uh, I'm not going to say that one month makes a trend, but uh, it is. We have seen one month of uh, the December numbers were up across the board for the the HPI index for uh, for all product types. Right. Uh, you know, just thinking about. Um you know, this idea of that, uh, this downturn was different because, you know, all the economic indicators, jobs, uh, everything else, immigration, everything's kind of on the up and up. And yet we're seeing a downturn. And that's kind of the difference there. Um, it's interesting because a lot of people we've talked to and a lot of listeners, I think of this podcast were thinking, okay, there's going to be, you know, these guys that have to sell. There's a, there's going to be a crisis at some point where, you know, there's going to be a flood of inventory. And it seems like really what's happened at the end of 2019 was people just saying, well, I'm, we're not going to list. Like, we don't have to sell. Mm-hmm. It's not a great time to sell. We're not going to sell. And then inventory went way down, right? Exactly. Now, the question that I feel like at least I get, I think you get as well, um, on a daily basis is, um, are we going to have better inventory in the spring? And I think there's a little bit more confidence now than there was, say, in July or August, right? And and we're hoping that that, for the sake of some of our buyers, is going to shake out some of the inventory. Like, what are your guys' thoughts on on inventory this spring? Is it going to be up? Yeah. I, and what impact does that have on the market? Well, I I would hope so. Like, yeah. I, I'm with you on that. Uh, I really, really dislike hearing situations where people are in uh, uh, no subjects, uh, multiple offers. And like, mm-hmm. it, certainly from somebody vending, selling, it's a great thing. Uh, but nonetheless, it's it makes it a very, very challenging purchase. And uh, I would think that as market sentiment changes and, and the general market sees a bit of an uptick with regard to level of sales and at least a flat non-lining, lining, maybe a slight increase in prices that uh, as Rai said, they, they may be inclined to uh, to get back into the market and get their listings out there if they uh, have been sitting on the sidelines. So I would hope that uh, there would be a bit of an expansion on the inventory side of things. Yeah, I mean, I, I think 
undoubtedly we'll see more homes available for purchase in the spring compared to where we are now. right now in the depths right. of really the depths <laughs> December, of yeah, December, January, December, yeah. January. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, the year over year, year change in inventory, um, beginning in September of last year, just sort of big picture overall, um, started to reverse. So inventory started to contract on a year over year basis. So there was in December, um, in the, the available units were, um, were way down over what was available in December of 2018. So I think a lot of that depends on how, uh, how long this, this, uh, so-called resurgence in demand, um, maintains itself because that, that eats into that, that inventory, right? So if, if, you know, we have this flow of new listings every month, if, if sales activity is robust, then it doesn't allow the listings to accumulate. And, and so, um, you know, as of right now, sales, I mean, there's nothing that we're looking at that, that says sales are going to slow down in the, in the very near term. So that really becomes a question of how many people want to jump in and, with and their own list. listing. Yeah. And, and, but it gets to, we're starting to ask questions that we may not have answers to, which is, you know, what are the motivations for selling? Who needs to sell versus who wants to sell? Um, and so, it's a, it's really nuanced. Um, and again, some of these questions are, <clears throat> I think, harder to answer for us directionally when we talk directionally or even the magnitude of some of the, the, the trends in the market are difficult to assess given the nature of the, the cycle that we've just come through and, and, and the causes of it. And I'm just going to throw onto that. The reason why some of those questions are really hard for us to answer is because we always try and take a quantitative or empirical look at things. And some of them you just can't throw, there, there's not one magic metric sure, that sure. you can look at. And so you, you start to throw as many metrics at it as we tr look at it within sort of our Renny intelligence framework. And uh, sometimes at best they become muddled. And so we can, uh, at that point it becomes maybe some educated guesses about where things are going to go. Right, right. Maybe uh, moving on to the pre-sale market, because I know that's one of the <laughs> areas that you guys focus on. Uh, obviously, it, it, it almost in a lot of ways kind of seems the tale of two markets with the resale market and the pre-sale market. What's happening in pre-sales uh, right now? And, and maybe also the, the last quarter of 2019, what, what did we... How did how did pre-sales perform? Well, the right now we we don't really know. There, there hasn't because there hasn't been any launches. Yeah, right. so it's very challenging on that side. Uh, we've got a project that's coming up for launch within the next couple of weeks in Burnaby Highline. Uh, so I think. Uh, us as well as the rest of the market are really keeping an eye on that to see how we kick off 2020 on that side of things um, as, a, as a bit of a, a bellwether and indicator and uh, where the rest of it's going to go. But you guys are right. Twenty In terms of 2019, we ended off the year at a relatively low point with respect to uh, the number of, of units that were launched. Uh, if I, we don't have quite all the numbers in yet, but we're looking probably about 50% below our historical average. So somewhere just over 7,000 units, uh, were launched. That were launched or sold? Okay, sold, launched. sold, 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 sold. And then, but on that, we actually see, uh, an, an inventory of unsold, uh, in the range of about 9,000 units. Again, haven't all told it yet. We're just sort of getting all the, the year end numbers in right now. But, uh, it, relative to history, if I look back through that, the presale side of things, uh, 2010 to 2018 average, about 14,000 sales. 
uh, and our standing inventory, so the released but unsold, uh, averages about 6,600 units. And so we're, we're certainly weighed down on the sales side, mm-hmm. 50%, uh, but we're up on the unsold inventory side of things, hmm. uh, which is not, again, not necessarily a bad thing. Back to my West Van example, uh, depending on whether you're the developer or yeah. whether you're a purchaser, <laughs> if you're buying, if you're buying it, like this is not necessarily a bad thing as well. There's certainly a growing range of opportunities for you to look at if you're looking at getting into the market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, sorry, I was just going to say, I mean, absolutely the resale and pre-sale market are their own beasts to some extent, but there is an interplay there. Um, and I think a lot of that is is channeled through just consumer sentiment. And so I, this is where we're really interested to, to follow what happens in the resale market because I think that will, that will start to shed some light on how the pre-sale market will evolve. I mean, if, if, if we have a lot more activity within resale and inventories get drawn down and prices start to increase, um, one, it closes the gap between the resale and, and, and pre-sale prices a little bit. But then I think people start to um, feel a little bit more positive directionally about where things are going. Yeah, where um, they might land three to four years from now from when now. they get well, that exactly. right? Yep. You give yeah. your money up yeah. now and then you hope that the value is there in, in three yeah. or four years. Right. And I think that confidence has not has not been there. And this is where sometimes <clears throat> the data um, the data may tell us one thing and um, it doesn't really matter. That if prices are recovering but people don't think that they are, then that's the thing that matters. Mm-hmm. Um, They're going to wait. And I think I don't. The resale market has not reestablished itself uh, well enough at this point for us to make definitive statements about the presale market. But we do know that you know, working with many many developers throughout the region, a lot of them are sitting there waiting to launch projects. So stuff has been not sh- not not shelved permanently. Um, they haven't moved on from 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 these projects. They're there. They're almost ready to go. But it's just a matter of of timing. Yep. So so we right. will see more activity, you know, over the next uh, two to three years, undoubtedly on the pre-sale side. What what does it take? I'm just thinking here. So we've had basically positive news for close to six months now. What does it take to for the reestablished? Uh, you said it hasn't reestablished itself well enough at this point. Like what is what does it take for buyer sentiment? Yeah, I mean, well, for just if, just in the resale market. Yeah, I agree. Well, we haven't. So what we haven't seen is prices move very much, mm-hmm. right? So that's sort of the indicator that conditions have have actually changed. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're seeing more transactions, but um, it's not. We're not seeing the bidding up of prices. Broadly speaking, yeah. you, you can find any number of individual sure. properties where that is the case, and then you'll find cases where stuff is selling way below ask. So it's it's really a mixed bag. Still, there's not the euphoria that we saw from like 2016 early on. Right. Um, but I think, I think what we need to see is, is for values to start changing direction. They've stopped declining. We know that. Mm-hmm. Um, assessments notwithstanding. Yes. I, mean, I assume all your listeners know that we all just got our assessment notices. We all just got creamed on the assessment side. But that was but the but fascinating that, thing. Were you going to yeah. talk about the inflection? No, I was actually going to say, it, I just wanted to jump in and, and say it's, you're talking about prices as well. I, I think what, 
the market needs is a spring market that that's active uh, in terms of the volume side of things. We went through, you look back historically, we went through long periods of time here in the lower mainland where we saw very little price increases, still a healthy market. Mm -hmm. So we don't need year over year significant price increases for the market to be healthy here. What we need is confidence from the consumer side of things, uh, that they feel confident in listing their houses, uh, that they're going to get the prices that they want or are able to get. Uh, and then on the purchasing side of things, people to be able to move into the market and have the expectation of a year and two that, well, it, it might not be a 30% increase, but it's not going to be a 10% decline. Right. So I think that's what needs to come back in the market. And I'm hoping that that is established through the spring market. So inflection point, right? Yeah. I was just going to say that's uh, <laughs> did someone say inflection? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. So, I mean, it's sort of like the market took two steps forward and then we all got our assessments and it was like one step back. Everyone's like, wait, what's actually going on here? Yeah. And of course those assessments, um, the process notwithstanding, but the, the assessments themselves are dated to July 1, right? So there's their values as of six months ago compared to values from, you know, July 1st, 2018. So the interesting thing is July 1, you could say, is actually when our market really turned. So that marked the six, the halfway point. Yeah, it yeah. literally was. That's when the inflection point in terms of sales were. It was in the middle of the summer and right. we saw yeah. it go from a, a, a negative sales gap to a positive sales gap. And so that's that point. And this is an interesting one we kick around at the office all the time. And we've now had six months of flat and one month of increasing prices. And coming around to the assessments for next year, it's going to take the last six months of 2019 and the first six months of 2020. So the degree that we see flat or slightly increasing prices in the next six months it's going to result in an increase in the next assessed values. So again, it's, it's that notion of, which you won't get until December of, of next, the fall of, of, of the year, year after yeah. that. That's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So it's the, the assessments are challenging at best. Cause I think that a lot of people don't really understand one, how they're generated or what it right. really means. That doesn't mean that my house now is worth 20% less than what yeah. it was. If, if anything, just let them inform how much you pay in tax. That's what yeah. that's <laughs> yeah. like, really, like yeah. that's all they're, that's they're what they're there for. for. That's yeah. what they're, yeah. well, and, and that really is what it, what it is. And, and even that people look at uh, the decline in the value of their homes and they think, Oh, or, or flip it around when we were seeing significant increases, they're saying like, Oh my God, <laughs> what does that mean for my taxes? Yeah. And again, they're, they're two separate things. The city comes along, any of the cities come along, given what the asset value is, they know what their operating budgets are and they know what the asset the bucket of assessed values are and they say okay well what how do we adjust what they call the mill rate so that we can pay our all the stuff keep that the we library have to pay. lights we, on yeah that's <laughs> right exactly. keep everybody employed and so it's not you know it's that that big increase in value or the big decrease in value isn't necessarily going to result in a big increase or decrease on your taxes right. side of things as well yeah it's interesting the i feel like so many people are asking about assessed values right now and it's uh uh, a lot of them, like I was saying to somebody last night, I was involved in uh, a multiple offer situation in South Vancouver where the house in November sold, I think it was November, maybe early December, sold for over 1.5, whatever it was, 1.53, 1.54. 
and uh, my client who wrote on that house and didn't get it just sent me the new assessed value, and it's one two something. <laughs> you're <laughs> like, okay, so and it went down like 150k or something mm-hmm. like that, and you're like, huh, this is uh, yeah, outdated at best. I don't think it was ever worth one two something either. I well, think it was always worth more than that. No, but again, how BC a BC assessment calculates that? What it means is that there was a couple of homes in that particular area that sold under the 1.5, yeah, right. and they take those values and they have an algorithm that they stick it to and they take the value from last year and say oh well look at what sold here the average was 1.2 not 1.5 so everybody's got to come down but assessors don't walk through your house and say i love what you've done with the place (laughs) (laughs) Um, exactly Exactly. so for the most part that stuff gets 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 lost Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. i think and and unfortunately it gets lost on the general public too because it's not communicated really well from bc assessment right right just just call your local Rennie or Oakwin realtor. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. And, uh, I'll explain it. And they will explain it to you. Um, okay, so so kind of shifting gears a little bit, because I know we don't have you guys for too much longer, but there's some kind of burning questions that Matt and I have here. So, All right. So the, the first one is, is where do you see the biggest risk to the market over the next uh, uh, one or two years uh, from your perspective? So I always given the lens I, I, I look through at economic the side yeah yeah I mean I'm looking at what are some of those economic factors I mean we've had <clears throat> since 2009 um, we have seen a very sustained what was a protracted recovery now it's just slow growth but we've been growing for an almost unprecedented amount of time mm-hmm. without having another downturn so um I would say economic expansions don't don't die of old age. I stole that from the Economist magazine. <laughs> I okay, was so wondering if you were going to qualify that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but it's a really good line because cite your sources. <laughs> this is what we do, yeah, we do. That's right. Well, well versed on that front. I say that because um, I, I always feel like if we're not in a recession, we're talking about when the next one's coming. And um, I guess if you if you beat that drum long enough, eventually you'll be right. But when we look at the actual underlying, you know, fundamentals um, in Canada, in BC, in this region, they've been they've been good. So the so at some point you wonder do these um, the disruption of international um, supply change because um, because the U.S. and China are having a trade tiff or 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 Brexit these kinds of things or the Strait of Hormuz gets closed or something um, that creates a lot of uncertainty. Um, you know, that's the kind of thing where if there is uncertainty, we know that we know that consumers in the housing market don't don't they don't play in that sandbox um, if they don't have a sense for where things are going. Same with businesses. If 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 the future is uncertain, they're not making big investments in technology and people and that kind of thing. So to me, we're always I'm always we're always looking for signs that um, the economy is is starting to trend down because I think. You know, if we see an unemployment rate that goes up significantly, if people aren't earning income, they're not going to be able to afford their homes. And that's where we see a, a, a real challenge. So for me, I'm looking at that. There's nothing right now. I think we've been fairly positive about our economy for even through a period where a lot of people were calling for its demise. And I wouldn't say we're in the clear now by any stretch of the imagination. But I think some of those fears have receded. Mm-hmm. Um, but but at the same time, you know, we're always we're always watching that, amongst other things. So so what's your other economist quote there? 
Oh, I was wondering if you, I was gonna, if you guys asked us to predict where pricing was going. Oh, was, that was my next question. Okay, oh, was okay, it? <laughs> so, so give the quote for a second there. Well, I was going to say that um, it, it's been said that economic forecasting was invented to make astrology look respectable. So, okay. so don't engage in price forecasting. So, so, so given what Ryan said, just about outlook about the economy side, I've got an easier job of it because I look at it from sort of the supply side of things. And I think one of the, uh, one of the risks, not necessarily within the next two years, but going a little bit farther than that is, is supply and policy. Right now, you look at, uh, um, there's been a big focus on the demand side, nationally, provincially, locally, in terms of trying to quell uh, demand side ventures. Uh, but there's not been a lot of focus on the supply side. And right now, uh, post uh, our election and, and a slate of new municipal councils through the whole of the region, uh, we're seeing development proposals at third reading getting quashed mm -hmm. uh, by councils throughout the region. And that's at some point, if that continues, if that sentiment around the council tables continues, it's, it is going to put a, a bit of a pinch on the supply side of things. Uh, and the reality is in terms of looking longer term forward, uh, it, this region within the next 20 to 25 years, is going to accommodate a million more folks is what right. our projection as well as, you know, other BC stats and, and, and other people yeah. are forecasting. Yeah. And, right. you know, that's like for context, that's like adding another city of Vancouver, Burnaby, the North Shore and Richmond to this region in 23 years. Wow. Never thought of yeah, it that way. I never, yeah. So, All those people need a place to live. Jeez. Right? Yep. So it, it, it again, it puts that a little bit of a different context to it. It frames it in a little bit of a different way. And yeah. we're going to need to accommodate also a growing job base our economic models say that it could be upwards of about 500,000 new jobs as well within the region. Uh, and we're not making any more land. Yeah. Right. So th those are some of the longer term metrics that Ryan and I look at and, uh, I look at not necessarily opportunity within the market, but you know, what are some of the driving factors? I mean, opportunity is subjective given what your uh, particular objectives are. Um, but, uh, those are some of the, the broader realities as well, especially as federal immigration targets move up to 350,000 people next year in terms of uh, immigration targets of, uh, of the BC bound immigrants, the lower mainland gets about 90% of them. So, so that means we get, because BC gets in around 15, 16% of Canada's immigrants, this region gets about 14% of Canada's of immigrants. Of all Canada's, yeah. yeah. Right. So we right. punch way above our weight with respect to our share of uh, of immigrants. And uh, and there's some real implications there as well. We, we also, on the interprovincial side of things, you know, this is where people are coming for, for the jobs, for education sure. as well. So we have the interprovincial side of things as well. And I will just make just one statement here for anybody sort of thinking about why these immigration targets mm, are so high. Why point, do yeah. people come here? The reason that, that Canada is, has increased its immigration targets and, and my guess is they will continue to step them up is specifically to deal with issues related to an aging population right. nationally, but also within more or less within every province and every market and the impact that has on our workforce, uh, right? That is growing mm -hmm. more sl slower and slower and slower. And so the types of people that we are welcoming into the country are people that, um, are, for the most part, they, they fall into the economic class of, of immigration. So they'll have a certain level of skills, education. They will have been working in particular fields uh, at certain income levels. And so they're able to contribute to our economic base. And that's, you know, we talk about, you know, we ask the question of who's going to change our, you know, our parents' bedpans or, or ours, <laughs> you know, in 20, 30 years or whatever it is. And the reality is, 
um, we're not replacing ourselves with a fertility rate that's been below replacement for four decades. Right. Um, if we didn't have migration, our population would be declining. Right. Um, right. So the consequence of an aging population with a low fertility rate is migration is the way that we sustain our, our economy. Um, but that means then we have to think about the impacts of that. And one of the impacts that immigration has is on our housing market. Yeah. So the GDP gets larger, but the housing stock <laughs> gets smaller, right? That's basically well, yeah, at we, least as, as of right now. Well, we need to figure out ways to add, add supply of all types of homes. So yeah. for sale rental, which has really come up purpose-built rental. Um, after many, many years of, of very little investment into new purpose-built rental, we're finally seeing that. But that's that we need the full spectrum of housing to be added consistently over time. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you have a region or a sub-market that you're, you're excited about? I wouldn't say sub-region. I'd say like uh, as not particularly geographically, but there are certain areas within uh, within the Lower Mainland. You know, we talk about this a lot at the office with with Bob as uh, like sort of the emerging energy centers within the region. Um, Surrey certainly an emerging energy center, given what they're doing at Surrey City Center uh, in Burnaby, Metro Town, uh, Brentwood, uh, evolving energy centers as well. And how we're, how we're classifying those as areas that it's not just housing that they're adding. They're adding a diversity of uses as well. Surrey City Centers is probably the best example in terms of a huge diversity of, of uses going in mm-hmm. down there from education to office to housing as well. Um, but there's also this notion of interconnectivity that is driving those inner, those energy centers. And that's, uh, the, the transit network that's, sure. uh, that's established around it. Um, and you look at, if we look back historically as well, the success of uh, MC squared in the Marine Gateway area, highly, highly connected. Uh, and it evolved around that transit node and their energy center is developing as they're adding the other uses around there mm-hmm, as well mm-hmm. not just growing the housing stock but uh the other services that are around there so you know that that i guess by def- default that points to okay the energy centers in surrey and, and burnaby metro town and, and brentwood but uh, i'd say that there are other smaller energy centers that are emerging throughout the region as well and it's that notion of uh, diversity of use uh as well as being highly interconnected. Mm-hmm. Skytrains seem to be so central mm-hmm. to that. Just even, I mean, we've, we had Kevin Desmond, CEO of TransLink yep. on recently, and he was talking about the, the million people that are coming over the next 20 to 30 years and where are we going to put them? But even just talking about Marine Gateway uh, area and just thinking in contrast to River District, yeah. which doesn't have a train, right? And, and what's that, what that has done in terms of demand and price point. Right, but it's a it's very interesting uh, to think of all the what and and hubs. if you were in the city of Vancouver asking for a friend here, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know this guy. Who knows this guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what? Because uh, you're so we're talking Surrey, we're talking uh, Brentwood, Metrotown. Uh, any any uh, exciting spot in the city of Vancouver that you guys are talking about? You live here, Andy. I moved away. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's, this is where you really have to know your clients because for one particular client, they may say like a river district is, is exactly what I want. Yeah. I don't need to be interconnected, but you know what? I want to go and be able to walk along the river. Sure. I want to take my dog out. So that this is where it becomes really important to know your clients. And cause for, for one, a really great opportunity may be, the worst decision they'd ever make. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but again, back to sort of being interconnected, I look at some of the stuff that's happening like out along Kingsway. Uh, Great. I'm going to say that's like the next rapid transit corridor in terms of not just 
not SkyTrain, but right. buses. But rapid bus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rapid bus in along that. And, you know, again, you can get out to Burnaby Metro Town and get out down to the system that way. You can get down to Science World down here where we're close to where we're sitting uh, and and get around. Uh, this area down here is certainly going to emerge and evolve a lot, building on what's happened at the Athletes Village uh, as that sort of continues to move eastward as well. So I, I think regardless of... It, you really need to define who you are, what your objectives are in terms of real estate, and, and you'll be able to find a gem anywhere within the city. And some of the people that could go for the luxury market as well in terms of some of the opportunities, and it could go for your first-time home buyer who wants to get into a 450-square-foot condo. Right. I know you guys are loath to talk about I think we've got about five minutes okay, left okay. here, and I, I think uh, I know Andrew. You have to uh, have to get going. Maybe we should shift to the five. Okay, bar. okay. Have Man, I was going to. Okay. Sure, I was. Uh, that was going to be good. But, <laughs> uh, oh, we got. If, yeah, yeah. We're, 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 we'll right. leave it for your guys' time. Well, no, no. Okay, well, this is the last question because I. I we'll do it quick. Okay, yeah, speed so, round. Speed round. So no, no yeah, thing. this is. Uh, <laughs> this would actually be good as a speed round because. Uh, I, yeah, no one wants to predict uh, uh, pricing in in the short, mid, or long term here. I think we know where you guys stand on the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, but if somebody's thinking about, you know, uh, okay, we've seen uh, month over month increase in sales here. Have we bottomed? What does 2020 look like? And uh, kind of the three to five year terms in terms of prices. In so, three words or less. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> just just give me percentages. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just, <laughs> how many decimal places do you want? Um, so again, you know, I look at um, how our economy is functioning, how many jobs we're adding, how our population is growing, and all that stuff points to um, sustained need for housing and different types of housing. But then also on this issue of pent-up demand, when we look at these per capita sales ratios, again, so number of sales given you know, per, you know, a certain number of people in the region, we're below what our historical averages and we're starting to get back to that average, but there was a long period where we're below. So that is the pent up demand that needs to be pushed through. Um, and so I see that factoring in, in 2020. And so I think prices, you want me to go out on a limb here? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So overall, you know, I, I don't see prices going down at all in 2020. Um, and I'm not going to give you a percentage going up, but directionally, I see them going up. The big but in all of this is nobody's in the business of forecasting one-off unexpected events, right? So if the provincial government says they don't like the way the market's trending, they might try to do something. And it's not, I don't, I'm not saying that to spook people. What I'm saying is, you know, there are certain factors that come into play that, that, um, you know, that aren't part of any kind of trend analysis or part of the day-to-day fundamentals that we consider. And of course that could happen. Right. So I'm, I'm just sort of um, a bit of an asterisk there on my, on my prediction. It also goes for the economy side of things, not just in terms of provincial or local sure. policy. If something globally transpired like 2008, where there was a financial crisis, sure. that would certainly add some, some variance in there. But with respect to the metrics that, that we look at and we track, yeah, I'm not going to say that there's going to be a big bump in prices, but there's certainly not a lot of downward pressure on prices, given what thing, how things are evolving right now in the short term. Perfect. Okay, now we'll get <laughs> right, to the five-wire. Yeah, five-wire, five lighthearted questions to end the conversation as described, described by Secret on the sheet in front of me. Um, okay, so question number one, uh, we'll, we'll start with, uh, with Andrew. Uh, what is your favorite neighborhood in Vancouver? 
well, obviously the neighborhood that I live in, Fraserhood. So <laughs> Fraser. I'm sort of a Fraserhood area. I've been there for a yeah. long time. Watched it change from uh, literally being crack houses on the corner to, <laughs> to uh, Faux Bourgeois. To Faux Bourgeois. <laughs> and it's probably my second favorite restaurant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Good transition. So, so of course, my neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, so Inland Valley. And we moved there about five years ago. Uh, we had had kids in Vancouver and thought we'd raise them in Vancouver. And then all of a sudden it was like, we we could live on the North Shore. It's my wife grew up and uh, the access to the trails, nature, our restaurants aren't as good. I think we have a Browns no. and, a, and a Black Bear pub. That <laughs> Love that Black Bear pub. That's a good, <laughs> uh, good spot. Um, next question, favorite bar or restaurant? Restaurant, Salvia Vope. Okay, oh, so you're nice. staying in the. I'm in the. You're walking. You're walking. I'm to walking where you the go. walk. I'm talking the talk for Fraser Hood. Yeah, yeah I know. I, I'm. I'm staying in the hood too. So I'm going. I'm going back to Blackbear. That's my. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Browns. No, <laughs> I was. I would have smacked him. If that yeah, I like the best French fries in the city. There's. Uh, there's no. There there's no pretense at the Blackbear. I love it. Yeah, no, that's a good one. Uh, one piece of advice that you would give your 18 year old self. Oh, I always love these questions. Uh, this is going to sound kind of flippant. I'm going to say respect your elders. Uh, one of the things that I've learned over the years is uh, as a young person, uh, establish a good set of mentors for yourself and rely on them. Uh, especially in today's day and age, as Ryan talked about, a little bit of an aging population as well. There's so much knowledge built up within all industries. Uh, I think as a, as a younger 18 year old, uh, I had the opportunity, as I say, to sort of stand on the shoulders of giants and learn my trade and my craft and my interests. And I would say that, uh, that's what, uh, anybody who's young and, uh, moving into the job market. Should that's look a great to. one. Yeah. Especially I, as I get older. um i don't i don't like giving unsolicited advice but this was solicited so i would uh (laughs) i would uh you know i don't know how many what your demographic is of listeners but um you know for for the younger ones it's in in, (laughs) enjoy being young um life's always got its challenges I remember what it was like to be 18. I remember being in university and I was poor and I was stressed and I thought, this is so hard. And I looked back. I remember somebody at that time said, this is going to be the best four years of your life. And I was like, you're bonkers. Yeah. It's so hard. I mean, I had a great time. We knew how to, we knew how to party. We knew how to have fun and made so many lifelong friends, but it was, it was hard and it was stressful. And you look back and you go, those were the four best years of my life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what stress was. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I definitely wasn't changing diapers back then. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> A uh, book you would recommend? Uh, I, I'm just getting through uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Talking to Strangers, which is an interesting one. Oh, that's a new, his new his one. His new right? one, yeah. I would suggest picking it up. It, uh, it's, it's a really interesting read. I'm not going to give away any of the, uh, of the contents, uh, but uh, it, it's a relatively good one, yeah. yeah. Good so one. so I, a couple of years ago, I read a book called The Golden Spruce about mm. this um, – uh, this guy Grant Hadwin, who um, it t- it's all it all takes place on the West Coast here in Haida Gwaii, and he was a sort of semi unbalanced wilderness lover. And um, the writing in it, as as I it's so descriptive as I was reading it, I felt like I was watching a movie, like I was reading in color. It was absolutely unbelievable. Um, and uh, I, I would recommend that book. Based on a true story, yeah, it is a true story. Yeah. Wow, Golden Spruce. Uh, yeah. That sounds really good, actually. Yeah. It's a good one. Great read, especially if you live on the West Coast. Yeah, Yeah. right on. Uh, Last, uh, something you have bought 
recently, last year or two, for under $1,000, it has absolutely changed your life. <laughs> or, or a little bit. Or a little bit. <laughs> I'd probably uh, say skis for my little girl. It's changed my life because now I'm back on the mountain every Sunday morning. And to look at the smile on her face yeah. when she's busting down the mountain, especially when there's 50 centimeters of fresh snow like there was on the last, Sunday. Yeah. You were out on Sunday. Week, right? I was out on Friday night, and it was incredible. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. hard to get we were at cyprus it was hard to get there but man once you were there there, took me an hour and a half to get up seymour but once (laughs) we were there again it was the giggles as she unpacked herself from under the snow and gathered her stuff back up after a big crash that was just uh that's the life-changing yeah right on great one i feel like we're doing a lot of product marketing here my my so my 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 purchase that's changed my life is a pair of slippers uh, Glare Ups is the brand. Wait, Glare Ups? Glare Ups. Seriously? We'll link to it in the show notes. It's a mouthful. If you rearrange the letter, if you rearrange the letters, it's, it spells splurge. So they're a little expensive. Uh, they're, they're wool and they, I just wear them all the time. They're on my feet through the summer, the winter, all the time. What? Glare Ups? Glare Ups. That's the name. Glare Ups. I I have no idea what that means. We're going to kick you out if you wear them to the office. That's right. Well, that was a phenomenal conversation, guys. Uh, yeah, we I could have did that all day. Yeah, no very, kidding. Very interesting. Um, but thanks again for for joining us. We really appreciate it. It's and been a long uh, time coming. And we know you guys send out monthly uh, yes. reports. Oh, How can people yeah. find out more about what you guys exactly. are doing? So if you jump onto the rainy.com website, there is a, if there's an intelligence page there that people can go and uh, there's access to our recent reports and stuff that are there. But they can also sign up and uh, you can get your name in to actually receive stuff automatically as well uh, as we produce uh, the Rainy Review, which is our monthly take on the resale market uh we also have a, a pre-sale snapshot document that uh, that we put together uh as well as the rennie landscape which is probably one of our bigger ones that's a quarterly uh roll-up of the big economic and demographic factors that uh um, that we see unfolding uh and again that's sort of that from the national right down to the local level here so that's another good one but uh if folks just jump on to rennie.com backslash and, intelligence uh, backslash intelligence and uh, and we'll put a them. link we'll put a link for sure as well and i should say this is the one this is like one of the emails i get from the many lists that i'm on that actually i actually open, open and read <laughs> uh, thanks for that yeah it is it is you guys are doing amazing work uh, we, appreciate we appreciate those comments it. It, uh, that's that's why we go back to the office so thanks for that <laughs> right on <laughs> Okay. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with Andrew Ramlow and Ryan Berlin from Rennie Intelligence. Really enjoyed that conversation, Matt. And uh, the crazy thing about that uh, chat was that we talked for what felt like 15 minutes and then we got the notice that we were up around like 45 minutes and that we were getting close to the end of the program and I feel like we barely scratched the surface. The nice thing is they said they'd come back. Yeah. And they do quarterly deep dives. Yeah. And they said they'd come back. Well, so. we're super excited and we're going to link to their, to some of their, well, to their mailing list and some of the reports. And, uh, you know, if you are interested in Vancouver real estate and you're following our stuff, you should definitely be on the on the list to get the uh, the reports from uh, Ryan and from Andrew because man are they doing interesting things and and they're constantly just analyzing stats over there and they look at the pre-sale market they look at the resale market and they're just involved that's right? right no there's no reason why you shouldn't be on that list 
You know what other list you should be on? I think I have a feeling where you're going with this. It, this is this is a live wire. This is over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. There's right. no reason why you shouldn't be on this list. As I thought well. I thought we're rebranding now. We we just had Renny Intelligence on. I thought we were going to go with uh, Scalina Average IQ somewhere between uh, <laughs> seventy and one thirty. Maybe closer to 70. Yeah. Well, it's just one of us <laughs> brings a, it down to 70. <laughs> one of us brings it up to 130. The, brand, the rebrand is a work in progress here. Yeah. I don't know if we can carry it across the finish line. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll stick with V-Rep. <laughs> yeah. But this is to, – to get back to our, our email uh, right. list here. Yeah. We're sending out updates about the podcast, Vancouver Real Estate Live, the YouTube show. We're sending out stats you can't get anywhere else. We got deal of the month. Yes. We got assignments. I mean, there's no reason you shouldn't be on this list. No, you should absolutely be on this list, Matt. And we've also got tools like private client services because if you're not using PCS, Matt, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information at your fingertips. It's free. It's the best resource out there. And you can sign up at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Sign up over there. and But what else do we got before we go? Well, if you want to see what Andrew Ramlow and uh, and Ryan Berlin look like, yes, this will be on YouTube. It's coming up on Thursday, so go over there. That's a good-looking group on that YouTube. Yeah, that's, you, you, for, you, that's a star-studded You go for the real right estate. You, you, stay for, you stay for the, uh, what, what, would you, what would you call us, the Ocean's Eleven uh, cast? Yeah. More or less, more or less. Yeah. But, but you can t- head over to YouTube to see that. Subscribe to our channel. Right. This is where you get updates for Vancouver Real Estate Live and all the rest. But I think we'll leave it there. If you have any questions about anything you heard today, anything at all real estate related, you can get a hold of me at any time, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also got that secret line. Info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Gets slower every time. It's like, uh, it's like, it's like we slowed that down on purpose. Is, is, is he getting slower at saying that? I, it's, it's great. It's surprising because he actually is is the person that brings it up to uh, IQ 130. <laughs> Just speak slow. <laughs> Have a good week, guys. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just 
feeling like you really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. 